Okay, so I'm so happy to present uh, Giuseppe Paolo, the first guest of the very first guest of this podcast that I'm doing called I Scientist. I'm really nervous. Are you nervous? <laughs> yeah, I'm quite nervous. It's, <laughs> it's one of the first time I do this. <laughs> yeah, this, for me the same. I, the first time I'm hosting a podcast. I'm also very excited. There are a lot of subjects I want to treat with Giuseppe. So Giuseppe is a young scientist who did his PhD in Sorbonne in mm -hmm. 2021 in reinforcement learning, which is one of the exciting domains, subdomains of AI. And we will talk about this. And he joined uh, my team in Huawei Research France in the same year, where we are actually both of, both of us are working on reinforcement learning. So this is going to be the, let's say, the technical subject of this podcast. We will try to bring it closer to the audience. But I also want to bring Giuseppe close to the audience, the person behind the AI, right? So my first questions will be about, you know, how did you end up becoming a scientist? When, when did it ever first occur to you to, to do this? Uh, okay, well, first, thanks for having me. I'm super happy to be here, super a bit nervous, but very excited. <laughs> so to answer your question, the, I think it was a bit when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was very curious about stuff. My mother used to call me <laughs> screwdriver's hands because I will always tear apart stuff to, to figure out how it works. Uh, uh, so familiar, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so since then, I was very curious about how things worked, how the world works, how you know, to understand things. And I think it's there in little by little. Then I figured out I wanted to be an engineer uh, when I went to university. Uh, and then there is one book that really moved me towards AI in general and uh, artificial intelligence. That was um, uh, Thinking Vehicles from Breitenberg. It's a very small book uh -huh. that uh, starts by, without thought experiments, building small robots and little by little you add parts and become more intelligent, uh -huh. more intelligent. And uh, so that also pushed me from the engineering side to the science side. Uh, pushed me to do robotics, then uh, AI, because I wanted to make stuff like that, you know, ah. stuff that can act in the world, understand how it works, figure it out by itself. Uh, I also understand how human thinks as well. So ah, so that was also your motivation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a friend that actually is doing a PhD in a, a neuro, uh, neuroscience and uh, trying to understand how humans work from the side, uh, from the point of view of humans studying intelligence. Uh, for me, from my point of view, we're, I'm doing the exact same thing, more or less, but moving from the other end of the spectrum. So studying humans from the, by okay, building it up from scratch. Otherwise, you could have been a mechanical engineer or somebody who does the engineering part of the robots, right? But you yeah. were somehow interested in the, the algorithm part. What's yeah, yeah, yeah. happening in the brain, right? Yeah, exactly. It's what I find more, most fascinating because it what uh, really helps to, to understand the world. I mean, you can have a super complex mechanism, but if it has no intelligence about what it's doing and how uh, how the stuff around itself work, it's, it's boring from my point of view. So how, <laughs> how did your family react? Um, so when I went in the engineering part, they were happy. They were like, oh yeah, it's gonna 
Uh, he's going to easily find a job. Uh, he's going to study, so that's positive. Uh, when I want, when I told them I wanted to do a PhD, they were like, yeah, okay, that might be interesting. So he can become a professor. <laughs> uh, but during my, <laughs> during my PhD, my parents and my, uh, we always joke uh, that it was not really working. It was just spending my time playing and studying. And <laughs> Sometimes I feel this about my work because it's so much funny. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I, when I work, I feel like a bit, uh, I'm playing because uh, yeah. I play yeah, with yeah. ideas in my head with uh, other people's ideas that is super interesting but there, there, there is this joke that always makes me laugh from my uh, grandfather when he told me what uh, when he asked me what I was doing I told him I'm doing I'm a researcher I research stuff so he asked me at the end of my PhD you've been always searching 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 but have you ever found anything <laughs> That's funny, actually. I, I have a question on this, like, because I remember very vividly the, the first time I sort of discovered something. At least I thought I discovered it, then I found it in an old paper. <laughs> but it doesn't change the feeling of doing something that you think it's has never been done. Mm. Have you have you ever uh, a memory of such a discovery? So I don't really have a specific memory, but I, I, I know the feeling. So sometimes even in, in my research, when I, when I implement a small thing, I say, ah, yes, that works. I'm so happy. I, I was not expecting that. Then, yeah, it happens very often that uh, you find someone else that did it, but that doesn't, uh, doesn't remove the excitement from it. Yes. Yeah. So. So maybe let's let's uh, delve into the the technical part. I want to make every episode about one of the domains of AI, which is very technical. I'd like to bring it closer to people. And the the the, the topic reinforcement learning that you work in is it's for me it's very interesting. If if you know GPT. Mm -hmm. Reinforcement learning appears there in an acronym. Yeah. RLHF, which mm -hmm. means reinforcement learning with human feedback that they used on GPT-3 to rein it in, yeah. to make it less offensive. So reinforcement learning starts to be known in the general public. It was also when AlphaGo beat Lee Settle, mm -hmm. that algorithm was also a reinforcement learning algorithm, but it may be less, uh, less well known, let, let's say image classification or language generation. So I'm interested in your sort of explanation of reinforcement learning to an eight-year-old. Uh -huh. And then also why you chose reinforcement learning as, as your research topic. Okay. Well, uh, so this is the way I will explain it to a kid and uh, oh, oh, I explain it to my grandparents actually. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> actually... <laughs> so it, it's like uh, when, you, when you're trying to teach a dog to do something, what you do is that you, you give it little threats. So if it does what you want it to do, if, uh, if you tell him to sit and the dog sits, you give him a threat. If you tell him to uh, tell it to sit and the dog starts to run, you, I don't know, you scream at it or you try to rein him in. And this is a bit uh, the concept around which reinforcement learning is, uh, is built. It's the concept of reinforcing. So if the, you build an agent 
and you want it to to inter uh, to do a task that doesn't matter which kind of task if the agent and you let it kind of play so you let it try different things if the agent starts to get closer to the task you want it to accomplish uh, you give him a positive reward so you reinforce that behavior if it does anything else you give it a negative rewards a punishment to uh, to give it a negative reinforcement for the behavior for that behavior so uh, little by little by reiterating through a process of trial and error the the agent will hopefully because it's not always given <laughs> reach the point when it can uh, learn the task and to talk more about the the branch of reinforcement learning i, I work on uh, so, uh, I work on model-based reinforcement learning, which is a sub-module uh, of reinforcement learning, you can say, in which you still have this concept of having to learn a task through trial and error, but uh, this is uh, accompanied by the fact that you want to learn a model of the world. For example, if you're trying to, uh, uh, to, to learn how to cook, in your head, you have a model of how the kitchen works. If you light up the flame, the, the stove uh, light up the flame of the stove, the the pan starts to warm up. So you can put the oil that a uh, little later, you know, it will start to fry. So what we're trying to do is to have an artificial intelligence that can learn a model of the world like this. So by trial and error, it understands that for each action, something it does, something happens. And this way it can plan. So it's like it, it, it can act like we do in our imagination. Going back again to the to the um, cooking thing, you, you know in your head the steps to follow. So you have a plan on what you have to do to, to fry an egg. So you follow that because you know how the kitchen works. If you've never seen a kitchen, you will never be able to do that. So if we can have an intelligence, an artificial intelligence that has a model of the world around it, uh, then it can do different things. So that's the hope or where we were, we're trying to get. Yeah, so we'll get there. Mm -hmm. I still want to dig in a little bit and the, the different components of such a system. Mm -hmm. if we look at uh, what we call model-free reinforcement learning. Yeah. All we do is the feedback that we give to the dog and the mm -hmm. dog has a way to absorb that feedback and learn what we call an agent. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting concept, the agent, because what we really learn in reinforcement learning is how to act, right? Yeah. It's opposed to other algorithms in AI, which learn, for example, how to classify an image. It's sort of like yeah. a passive output of an algorithm. Or even in GPT-3, the original model I just learned the statistics of words using mm -hmm. most of the written language that we ever done to predict what comes as a next word in a sentence. But there was not much agency there, even though like putting there out the next word could be considered as an agent, right? Mm -hmm. So it turns out that, that that sort of approach to reinforcement learning is very hard, right? Yeah. You need a lot of lot of samples. And this is why most of the time it's only used in, in games like mm -hmm. AlphaGo, because games can be simulated you can have as much experience as you want by simulating it on a computer and so we work we both uh, 
in love with model-based reinforcement mm -hmm. learning because it seems to need much less examples to learn and it's much closer to what we do. So the components, so, so tell me a little bit about the, the three components, the, what we call the, 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 the actor, that the, like an agent behind the acting, the model and the planning. So yeah. three components that actually map to what we do. Uh, yeah, so we, we have these three components. Because, so the acting is actually the policy we want to follow, like the, that it learns what to do at every different different state. So uh, what are the, the state, the, going back to the dog, uh, uh, we want it to, to learn to sit. It knows that if it's standing, the next thing to do is to lower his, uh, his rear legs. Uh, so that actually follows a policy and it is the actor is what actually makes the agent do uh, do things. So that is one of the you know, most important parts in reinforcement learning because it's actually uh, both in model free and model based reinforcement learning what we want to learn to uh, in model in model uh, free is a bit more explicit uh, because we're actually aim we, uh, this is what we directly learn most of the time. Yeah. Instead, when we learn a model, that uh, then this model, this imagination of the world, we can uh, use it uh, a bit, like even for other things. Because the, the the thing is, if we learn an actor, that actor will mainly only be able to do the thing that he learned. Instead, if we learn a model, we can use this model to do other things. I mean, if you're going back to the example of cooking, you know how uh the stove warms up the pan uh but so you can use it to cook pasta to cook uh, an egg to to cook meat uh and you can do multiple things instead uh, if we just if you just learn the actor it will only learn to cook uh, to 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 use the pan in while cook to cook an egg so if it needs to learn how to cook pasta, it will probably learn, uh, have to learn from scratch how to heat up the pan and everything. So this is one of the reasons I prefer a model base because it, it lets you build this model that then you can reuse whatever you want. So at that point, rather than having to relearn the actor, which as you were saying is kind of expensive because it also needs a lot of uh, samples. Uh, once you have the model, you just need, need a different planner. That's the other component in which, which is much less expensive to have because you, you, you can also have a super simple thing in which you simulate different things in the model and, this, uh, and then you choose the one that actually is more aligned with your task, with what you actually want to do. Yeah, actually, I, I, I like to compare planning to actually thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically, we know from cognitive science that we have a model of the world. Mm -hmm. That model of the world is there to predict what's going to happen if I do this, if I do that, or if I don't do anything, I just look at the world and predict where it goes. Yeah. There's a lot of learning of this type of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that's the nice thing about the model. Another nice thing, you can reuse it for different tasks, but it's also doesn't change. Yeah. Right. It, you can change your the way you act, the, the things you do in the world, but if you do something in different ways, like like push the, the glass on the floor, it will break, and that part of the world is sort of what what 
we call objectives. So mm -hmm. that's something that easier to learn than how to act because how to act, it can also depend on your own policy, right? Yeah. So, so that's why reinforcement learning is so hard and so much harder than what we call supervised learning behind the uh, chat GPT or the image classification uh, model. So one example I, I, I thought when you were talking about cooking with planning mm -hmm. is that let's say you decide to cook an egg and you plan in your head, you put the oil and then you, you, you break the egg you, mm -hmm. you turn on the gas and you put it in and you wait 10 minutes. And so the first thing you do of this, you, so you plan the, the sequence of actions, right? Yeah. First thing to, to do is to take the oil. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then you realize that you don't have oil at home. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so then you replan. It's also, if you think about like Google Maps, when there's an accident that it was not predicted by Google and you arrive there, it has to replan. Mm -hmm. So that module in the mind of the, the reinforcement learning agent of this whole thing is important. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the reason why it's important because we, we, we can plan as long as we want. This is uh, almost like uh, we confabulate the future. We try yeah. to predict it, but there are a lot of different paths and a lot of different uncertain things that can happen in the world mm -hmm. on that path. So it's better just to you. Okay, you plan it. You think you'll arrive there. You just execute the first step of that plan, and then you see what happens. So it's much more natural than doing reinforcement learning without planning, where you have just an agent and it goes ahead whatever happens so it, yeah. it seems like planning can correct its errors right yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah going thinking about the uh, the uh, google map example you gave it's like if if you don't have a planner it's like you reach the place where the road is close and then oh i have to relearn how to drive to reach the new to to do the new path and go where i want to go Instead, if you just have a model, you can, as you were saying, plan in it, imagine different things you can do, and maybe, I don't know, park your car, take a bus, so you don't really have to relearn from scratch. It's, in my, from my point of view, it's much more flexible. And uh, I like your analogy of thinking, of like where planning is like thinking, because yeah, it's actually uh, very close to what we do. Yes. The other thing I like about reinforcement learning is that the algorithm is responsible for collecting its own data, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like, GPT-3 was trained on an immense data set that was collected by the researchers at OpenAI mm -hmm. and others. Okay, so it was some open databases and some other curated text. and. That is somehow unnatural to me to claim that something is intelligent that was just fed data and possibly do, does something as opposed to, you know, somebody who actually has a goal and collects the data it needs to learn the world to achieve that goal. You see this? Uh-huh. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, yes, I agree. But it also depends on the definition of intelligence you uh, you have, because you can you can 
imagine the way ChatGPT has been trained in, in a supervised way as a way to build a model of the human global consciousness. Hmm. So once you have that model, then you can, uh, uh, I wouldn't say plan because that's not the, the exact analogy, but uh, you can use it for different things. So yeah, it's not straight up full intelligence. Also because I, I think to have intelligence, you need to, to have some kind of agency. So like uh, being able to decide what you want to do uh, in a way, not only to solve a, ta a task that is given, but even give your, to give yourself a task. That Exactly, yes, yes. And even further, maybe to, to be able to, to create your own value that you want to optimize, yeah. you want to get after. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That, that goes much closer to what uh, human-like intelligence is. Exactly. So I, I mean, was, yeah, yes. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, it's not given that you, uh, what we can call human-like intelligence is the only kind of intelligence that exists, but it's uh, at least the one that we're more familiar with and we can add, see a bit of it also in other animals. So at least on Earth, is the most uh, realistic one we have. Then we can imagine other kind of intelligence, but we don't know what what that will mean, and uh, even if it can be useful somehow. I mean, ChatGPT is useful in yeah, yeah, some yeah, things, yeah. but <coughs> so I'm a very, I mean, I'm a very left hemisphere thinker. I matured into somebody who can also use the right one, but left mm -hmm. hemisphere is known about making systems, mm -hmm. putting order in chaos. And so one of the frameworks are, I, I like very much that actually relates to this concept of learning an agent is John Verbeck's 4P. Mm -hmm. And I won't talk about it because it's a complicated subject, but the first 2P he calls propositional and procedural. Mm -hmm. Propositional knowledge is basically what can be put into the proposition that you write down like a statement that can be either true or false. Mm -hmm. Everything that's written or the knowledge that is written is propositional knowledge. Mm -hmm. Whereas because procedural, the knowledge to know how to do, like propositional mm -hmm. is what is, what is true and procedural is how to do to achieve something. Yeah. And I see very much reinforcement learning as instantiating that second level of knowledge. Mm -hmm where we learn how to do to achieve a goal mm. to achieve something which has value for the agent who learned mm -hmm. now the interesting thing for me that value is still coming from outside like in most of yeah. the algorithms we define the value or it's a game where the value is winning the game for the dog the value is the the cookie gets mm -hmm. or the stroking and we as humans have also the capacity to decide what's valuable and those come from higher level piece that i will not talk about but we are very far from that so even the agents that act in the world don't have that mm -hmm. that capacity of automatically deciding what is valuable 
I'm talking about this because the, the next subject I want to talk about is there's a lot of fear from AI today. Mm. And I think one of the fears is that if we give agency to these very powerful algorithms that seem to be smarter than anybody has in the world, like GPT, but we don't give them the ability to be in the world, mm -hmm. then if we give a task to this agent, like the typical example is to make uh, paper clips, ah, yeah. then on the way to make those paper clips, it will destroy the world because its only goal is to make paper clips and it's very smart to decide how to make paper mm -hmm. clips. So what, what do you think about this scenario? Because this is one of the basic scenarios that uh, is going around now in the public. Yeah, so I have a bit of a mixed feeling about this thing because I, 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 from one part, I think is the most uh, likely among the the AI Armageddon, all Armageddon scenarios, I, I like I cannot imagine an AI becoming evil just for the sake of it. It's like it uh, it it will more more likely that it will be more likely that something uh, a bit less stupid AI will be so hyper focused on his single task that he will not realize what is what else is around but that is not what we can call evil it's more related to indifference so, or so, foolish foolishness yeah yeah exactly but then again foolishness it depends it still requires some kind of a moral compass you see if you if you if you're indifferent it means that you just focus on your own value all the rest doesn't matter so yeah. this this plays into the what the, the this idea of aligning these AIs. That if you give an AI like this, the paperclip one, some kind of uh, value for human life, then it will know that uh, killing all humans in order to make paperclips is that it doesn't make sense. Exactly. So it, it's more like. It, I think the whole discourse about aligning goes into how to make AIs like us, but you cannot make a set of rules for it. I mean, the, the three rules from Asimov are a nice example, but you, you cannot encode all human values into a set of rules. You, 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 I mean, the advantage we have with this kind of uh, algorithms is that they can learn. So it's much easier to actually teach them our values than fix it in rules. Then, yes, of course, you can you can put some hard constraints some, somewhere, but it will be much easier to have some something like that. And that and that I think is the way to avoid uh, any possible Armageddon. Even if I don't think anything like that will happen. I, yeah, I mean, I, it, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you, actually. Uh, there is another, so, so the, my first remark would be that we have to be careful with these scenarios in the sense that these are prophecies. Oh, yeah. These don't exist, but these are prophecies that can self-create themselves. Mm -hmm. 
but let put it apart because that leads far like how the world works um what what was i wanted to say yeah so the other school and it's important to see this other school because the the actions they propose is exactly the opposite of the actions that the people who were afraid of the singularity armageddon the paperclip type uh, mm -hmm. armageddon proposed which is to put ai into agency carefully mm -hmm. Because they say exactly what you, you say, which is uh, that the only way to align AI is to make it act, make it responsible for itself, like your kid is responsible for its existence after a while. And you want to bring the kid up so it doesn't hurt himself or herself. Mm -hmm. So... This is so, so this is John Verbeck's, you know, master plan, which is also a prophecy. It's, it doesn't exist and it's nobody can guarantee that it will happen as nobody can guarantee that singularity will not happen mm -hmm. because this is, you know, if we really worked hard, we could create an, an AI that's indifferent and kills everybody. Ah, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, we, we, but we don't even need AI for that. We, yeah, yeah, exactly. Nuclear weapons. So, yeah. I so so because of the prophecy likeness of this this thing, I prefer John Verbeck's vision, which is let's put agency in AI or AI into agency. Let's put AI into things that are responsible for living in in the real world, their own existence, to bind to us and to bind to, to the world. Same way as you do with your kids. You have no guarantee mm -hmm. that your kid will not become evil. Mm -hmm. Yet we still make kids and most of the time it works out. Yeah. Because there is this tissue of society into which we integrate these beings. Now, of course, this can be scary because these are kind of intelligences that we've never had before. These are not kids. These are mm -hmm. coming from the machine world, coming from the, you know, the scientific world. Yeah. So it's not that I have like the crystal ball of how to do this, but I would still be for putting agency into AI mm -hmm. or putting AI into things that have agency, like a toaster, let's say. Yeah, but yeah, and at the same time, given the basis on which we train this AI, that is uh, human knowledge, mm -hmm. I mean, it is already so the, the way we train kids it helps it works because the they're humans so there is a basic layer that kind of aligns them already mm -hmm. so training ai on human knowledge i think it more or less builds something similar then we we just have to socialize it because it, even a even a a kid, if you just don't exclude it from society, and then when it's an adult, you just try to 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 insert into a whatever kind of society, it will be dysfunctional because you you have to do it little by little. But 
the the same is a bit like with this AI. You 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 have the basic layer, and then little by little you have to uh, domesticate them. Yes, yes, and this is what's happening with GPT because yeah. what they added was a layer of reinforcement learning, mm -hmm. where it's in quotes socialized or reined yeah. in or trained as a dog to be to behave, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, and I think so. We, I agree with you of the fact that they need to be embodied because to I, I really believe on the fact that to have real intelligence, you need to be able to act in the world. So today, actually, I was uh, scrolling Twitter and saw a, a, a post, I don't remember from who, who said that you cannot really build real intelligence just from the propositional level, just from text, because the 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 text we produce already has two kind of filters so first is the filters between our emotion uh, our uh interactions with the world and our internal world so that already loses some part and then you express it so that adds our personal feelings our personal words but removes some other part that can be related to our capacity to write or our uh, capacity to express ourselves whatever so is a two layers abstraction from the, from what actually built the intelligences that we are, so the real world. So if we want to build some kind of intelligence that is on par with us and that we can uh, interact on a same level, we need to put it in a setting that is similar to the one that produced, it, produced humans, so the real world. You cannot just make it learn from text, otherwise it will be, uh, it will miss something. That you cannot encode. Yes, yes. Like actually, I asked GPT how to bike, mm -hmm. and it gave me like twelve points. It loves to put stuff into points. Yeah, <laughs> and one of them was so. So first of all, it's just propositions. It, they you can put GPT on a bike, but it will not be able to ride it. Yeah. But the other thing which was interesting is that it told me how to turn to left. Mm which was turn your wheel to the left. And then somebody said that that's a very common misconception of how to turn to the left mm -hmm. with a bike. You actually turn the wheel to the right because you have to lean to the left to turn mm -hmm. to left. So before leaning in, you always do a little movement to the right to, to, to lean to the left and then the bike turns itself actually, yeah. physics. And even GPT-4 didn't know this, mm -hmm. right? Because it's somehow, uh, it's a statistical machine. And most of the time when people who don't know this either propositionally, they mm -hmm. write about biking, most of the time they have the wrong proposition about this. Yeah. So definitely te textual knowledge is, is immense, but it's not everything. Yeah. The bias comes probably from, I mean, the bias of, of thinking that it's everything is coming from our huge success of the scientific revolution mm -hmm. that created technology, which where the, one of the normative goals was actually to, to, to dispersonalize knowledge. Mm -hmm. share it because because propositional knowledge one of the big advantages is that you can share it easily yeah 
Like you can write it down, you can put it in a computer, you can put it on the internet, and now you can train an AI with it. Whereas your knowledge of how to bike, that doesn't scale. You can yeah. just magically put it out there and people will know how to bike. You have to teach your kid. Mm -hmm. It's a complicated thing if you had a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For how you learn to bike. Mm -hmm. And that's really the just a very basic level just to show that textual knowledge is not everything. So, still, it seems that there's a lot of uh, fear out there, how where this AI will go, which was quite understandably motivated by this GPT-4. Mm -hmm. Between GPT-3 and GPT-4, there was a big jump of capacity of reasoning and things that even researchers didn't foresee and if i talk to so i had a conversation on facebook for example with a with an old friend mm -hmm. who had nothing to do with ai but now he's scared because of gpt4 but also because of the people like even researchers talking about how powerful it is and he asked me why to do it why is this dream of of doing AI like mm -hmm. he said AI you, you, you got to be 50 without AI like you, you managed to live until 50 without having AI so why to do it now my first answer was that it's not true like a lot of things happened in my life and in a lot of people's life because of social media and we know mm -hmm. from social dilemma that the algorithms behind content recommendation is AI. It's yeah. the same, same set of algorithms that we have for GPT. But still, it's a valid question. Like, why do we want to do? Why, why want? To, why, why? Why do we want to recreate uh, intelligence or agency or consciousness or whatever attributes we have that like dead objects don't? Mm -hmm. So, what do you think? So. It's a question I've been posing myself quite often. The, the, the first two answers that comes natural uh, for me is first, why not? That's, <laughs> That's like the, the guy who has a 100% openness on the... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know it's not a reassuring nice answer. Also. <laughs> yeah, it's not the most reassuring answer, but... At the same time, I'm, I personally am a very, very curious person. So that's the, my second motivation. I'm curious to what will happen. I'm, I mean, just to see if we're capable of doing it. And then at the same time, on a more serious, from a more serious point of view, I think it helps understanding us a lot as people, as human species, how we think, how we interact and uh, so if properly developed if properly tuned and uh, if not misused that's those are a lot of big ifs I know but that can really help improve people's lives people's lives uh, not only from a purely economical point of view but also from a mental point of view because if we manage to build something like that, it means that 
we understand how humans work better so we can we can better help people uh, even with a uh, psychology or therapy or whatever but by, by you mean by modeling our intelligence and, yeah and the 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 feasibility of ai would be the the proof that we got it right that's what mm. you... uh -huh. yeah i i yeah, I wouldn't say it's the proof that we got it right because we can, like, as of now, we we more we have a ChatGPT, for example, we don't really uh, understand all the small details on on how it's capable of doing what it does and all its emergent abilities. Most of it we do, but not everything. But yeah, I think it can help on that on that regard on that line. Um, it can, as any kind of technology, if misused, it can bring a lot of uh, uh, bad things. But that, as of now, in human history, that could have happened so many times. <laughs> it never happened. I don't see why it should happen now. And if you think about uh, what was happening in the, like I, I, with, um, with nuclear power, there were people that were super scared for a reason, but at the same time, it also brought a lot of help, a lot of uh, huge improvements uh, in, uh, in society and the people life. So that, that is the answer I give myself to this question, <laughs> but I'm, I'm always looking for 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 yeah. for more convincing replies. Yeah, yeah, to still manage it's important. Yes. Yeah. Should try to yes. Uh, is there an example from your life where AI helped you to understand yourself better, or in any other way? Hmm. Like I give you one, which I wrote in a blog post. Uh-huh. I got hooked on fight videos on Facebook in mm -hmm. 2020, really badly, like <laughs> two, three hours every night for, for a short period. So that was the, I, I usually have this relationship with addiction is that I get addicted, but I get rid of it very fast. Mm -hmm. And so two things happened. I deleted Facebook from my account by my phone. I still log in on the computer, but not on my phone because I, f I figured that, you know, the my my part of the brain that gets addicted that if it, typically in the evening doesn't have the capacity to turn it off. But if it's not installed on my computer then or my phone, then I, it will not be able to reinstall it either. <laughs> but the other more interesting thing that happened is was that I, I realized that among all the things that I could have watched by just clicking on one video and of, or after, after the other, mm -hmm. TikTok is typically this kind of an engine that was built on AI and it's just giving you whatever your subconscious wants. Mm -hmm. Still like, a, it's not like they want to give you something very specific. They just want you to be there. Mm. So you, it's something in your brain that decides what you watch. It can be cooking videos or cats or travels. And in my case, it was MMA mm -hmm. fights, you know, 
And so I decided that that some that tells me something about my psychology, it tells me something about what I really want or some part of my brain wants and my conscious brain, which was kind of it for for my conscious brain, it was a kind of strange idea that I want to fight because I've never mm -hmm. done this before I did other sports, but not mano a mano, you know, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> But still, it's, it stayed there. I went into therapy with this and then I talked to my, my partner and then it eventually got matured, the idea that I will do it. And I did it two years ago and it transformed my, my life. Mm -hmm. Not every aspect, but in a big part, you know, especially the embodiment part or yeah, yeah. You know, get, be, getting more conscious about my body and getting through things that that were impossible to understand from propositions like how mm -hmm. it, how does it feel to being thrown over somebody's shoulder and just bump on the ground you know mm -hmm. yeah and so this kind of experience was really really helpful for me psychologically too not only for strength and health but even psychologically so that that so there is this kind of example what i'm looking for if you mm -hmm. had anything uh, similar but at least indirectly AI had the effect on you. Well, so it, it's, yeah, it's more or less related to, to this recommendation agent because in the end it's the only uh, AI we act with every day. Uh, I, I realized that I was spending way too much time on Facebook when when I when at one point it started to propose me, so it was just news, just the news. But little by little, they were getting more and more depressing. Ooh. So at one point, because I mean, uh, they were the COVID and everything, and there is this cooking up part. Uh, I guess it was similar to what happened to you that you realized uh, that you were interested in that. So I realized that there was a part of my brain that was kind of addicted to this kind of anxiety inducing things. At one point I just say to myself, I can, I cannot keep on doing that. So I, I removed Facebook as well. I don't use it anymore. <laughs> and, I'm super, and since then I actually am much happier. I don't know if it's really related to the AI part, but it's the fact that it got so much darker. Sometimes it was also, I've never been a conspirationist, but then when I started to see conspirationist posts on my uh, Facebook ah, page, I say, what, was the what, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> if I don't try to control myself, that can lead wherever. So it, it is never has been such a life transforming experience as you. Uh, but it, it had a small effect. Uh -huh. I yeah, I mean, it's so, so interesting, right? That we have this capacity of looking into the abyss, mm. but not jumping, you know, like, okay, that's enough. And then yeah, uh, do something drastic. Yeah. And at the, at the same time, I mean, we can, we can control not to jump because this, this recommendation system, I mean, they're very, very addictive, but at the same time, they're very dumb. I mean, uh, like on Amazon, you, you look for one thing, you buy it, and for three months, you have recommendation for the same things. Like, I, I, I don't need 10 pairs of shoes, I just got one. 
uh, I wonder if we will still have this kind of a self-control once this AI become more refined. Uh -huh. but, but there is one difference there, though, that the, the AI that gives you the shoe ads, it's just they just want you to buy shoes. Yeah. But the AI between, behind TikTok or Facebook shorts or YouTube shorts, they want to pay with your attention. They mm, want you to yeah. be there so then they can sell you ads. Yeah. And it's always some money because that's the only way to, you know, monetize your attention. But it's the, the reason why they are so addictive is because, you know, these companies at the end, they, they, they want to make money. Yeah, yeah, of course. They engineer this AI with, uh, in a way that they can suck up all our attention. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's also one of the reasons I'm not super comfortable with the current development of AIs where the most advanced ones are, are only developed by companies because, I mean, the goal of a company is to make money. So this, this kind of uh, super huge engines will, at one point will be monetized in a way that we, we don't really have control over. So I don't uh, when I see all the open source stuff that is going around LLMs and uh, these other parallel chat GPTs, I'm super happy because I I've seen just today a post where you can run your own chat GPT on your computer, or you can have chat with it. Little by little, you can personalize to, to your needs. Uh, so you can have a more personal assistant. And I think that way is also more, he more helpful to understand yourself because um it's like looking in a mirror at one point i mean if yes. you train the AI, you talk uh to to your own likeness uh you 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 can extract things from yourself that you will not notice that it's a bit like going to therapy you go to therapy you talk with your therapist uh, so you can understand yourself that that's probably what will happen. I hope that what will happen. Yes, I, I also agree with this, that the individualization of these, these uh, GPTs will make them much less scary. Yeah. And also it will be much more the responsibility of the person who's using it than today, which yeah. where now is the responsibility of the company mm -hmm. to make it acceptable for like 99% of the people. Mm. They don't get scared. Yeah. And they, they, they will, yeah, they will become more human friendly at the same time to, to have people being responsible for their own AIs. It will also mean that they will have to understand them a bit better. I mean, at, at yes. least the risk, like when you drive a car, you're responsible for the car because you know that you, you don't really know the functioning of the car in detail, but you know, if you run over a person, the person is dead. So you, people will have to be conscious of the fact that not of all the details of how they works, but of the fact that if they tell the AI uh, buy drugs, the AI can do it. So that's mm. where the responsibility comes in. Yeah. And in my opinion, if this happens, there is also another thing that's super interesting. We talked about it a little bit when the agent is responsible for correcting its data. So if you put AI into objects like a small robot, mm -hmm. The small robot, when it comes off the, the factory, it's identical to all the other robots. But then it gets into an apartment, into a family, 
and it starts to learn on its own experience. Mm. And so it will individuate. Yeah. And that's a very interesting subject. It goes far because you know how to transfer knowledge from one individual agent to another or today, just put it on a disk, you copy it and you put it into their, their other computer and it can mm -hmm. run on different hardware. But once it's individuated, it, it will not be easy to, to transfer the knowledge from one agent to another or mix the knowledge of two agents, especially mm -hmm. yeah, because they won't, won't be mixable, right? Yeah. It's like, it's really like two twins that are born in the beginning, they have more or less the same constitution, but they have different experiences. So they mm -hmm. grow up, grow up to, to be different persons. Yeah. And so this is what I see a little bit with what you said about GPT, if it gets personalized, like everybody's assistant will be different. Yeah. And it will be a very interesting world where you could imagine those, those different GPTs talk to each other. Mm -hmm. That would be much more interesting because one of the experiments I tried, this is John Verbecki's, uh, let's say, second person Turing test, mm -hmm. where you just make two GPTs talk to each other. Mm. And GPT-3 was terrible at it. It, 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 <laughs> you know, it, it converged to a nothingness very fast. Yeah. GPT-4 is not so bad, actually. Ah, uh, yeah? Okay. So GPT-4, if you prompt it right, it can present the subject in a dialogue format. Uh -huh. It will still not go somewhere where it haven't gone. Perhaps also because the reigning in yeah. reinforcement learning, but it still ends up orbiting around what I call a fixed point, mm -hmm. like giving grat gratitude to the other <laughs> and asking the same questions over and over. What it does now, it summarizes the conversation with different words. It's like rephrasing yeah. the summary, and this is like where it converges. So it's still not because it's, it, it, it doesn't have any agency, let's say. Yeah. And it's all the same GPT. But if you start making two GPTs that were trained on two different persons, uh, you know, history or for assisting different persons, when they talk, to each other that can be an interesting thing already yeah definitely and i don't really see much danger in this so this is as long as it stays in language hmm. it's yeah good to kill us yeah um yeah the only danger is that it could not really learn, but it could manipulate people to do stuff. But I think that's a separate issue. Well, because... that's exactly the Facebook issue. I mean, AI yeah. already manipulates us, but we have the agency to counteract it. Yeah. And so my example and your example is that we can, if we have to, we can be as drastic as just shut it down, mm. but we can also just react to it and understand, go on a meta level and understand what's happened there and do something for our good, mm. right? And this, if it's gradual, then basically it's, as you said, it's a, it's a giant mirror mm. that, that mirrors you back your own self. And you have the time to react to it, to make yourself better, yeah. worse. No guarantee. So 
as you don't have any guarantee that you don't become a heroin addict, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's the same kind of psychological pr- procedure that, that leads to an addiction. Yeah. And, you know, if you get rid of heroin addiction, that's also similar to getting rid of social media addiction. Yeah. In the sense that the only way to do that is to, to transform yourself. Mm. Right? Okay, well, this was uh, great. Yeah, I'm so happy. I'm, I, I I lost my nervousness like ten minutes into the conversation, and it was so nice. Yeah, me too. It was it flew very nice. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so thank you very much, Giuseppe. Thanks to you. Thanks for the great conversation. And yeah, see you back in the office. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. See you. Bye.